0: This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. And you're listening to the DCAU Review, hosted by Cal and Liam, streaming at DCAUReview.com and on your favorite podcast app.
1: Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. And that's just the tip of the iceberg.
0: Wait, he's very fast? Yeah. The world's greatest team of heroes has finally come home. Home sweet
1: home. To Justice League.
2: Not so about. All them heroes is in the house. Just watch. Welcome everybody to episode 221 of the DCAU Review. I am one of your hosts, Cal, and with me, my good friend, good brother, the man that runs our Twitter account. That's right. It's Liam Liam, we have officially turned the page. We are in the dog days of summer, as they say, here in the month of August. And uh, that means a new month. And for the first time in uh, quite a little bit, we are headed back to the DCAU. Well, at least the DCAU that most people know and love. Not uh, Zeta Project, notwithstanding. It's been, it's been a while since we've been in the DCAU proper. Uh, not counting those uh, two Batman Beyond episodes we covered last month, but uh, I'm excited to kick off uh, an exciting month here. We have a theme month going here and uh, we'll be covering quite a few here in the DCAU.
1: Absolutely, Cal. And that's right. Our theme month this month is of course uh, the character of the Flash, uh, of course the DCAU Flash being the uh, Wally West version that we may or may not have something cooked up a little bit late, uh, later this month to, uh, to feature one of the other flashes Mm. and uh you know it's it's kind of a hot topic Uh, a lot of a lot of a lot of things got uh an axe taken to them by warner brothers studios this week uh Mm -hmm. not to i feel like that dates this a little bit but we were i would i only bring that up to say that we were originally probably going to wait and try to do this month around the time of the movie coming out Mm -hmm. but uh you know it doesn't seem like it's so, 100 percent guarantee that that movie's coming out at this point so
2: yep there's uh right. there have been some issues there have been some well-documented issues as to why the flash may or may not be coming out in the not too distant future here so we will uh we will hold our breath and wait and see what's going to happen in the uh for the future of dc live action films Seems that the new regime taking over uh, Warner Brothers and its uh, sister companies and parent companies are all deciding that uh, budget cuts are in tow here. So that means that different properties are getting removed. Not to mention some of the uh, the off screen issues with some of those involved with the project. But Liam, this week we are kicking things off with Flash Month with a very Flash centric episode, that being the Justice League season one episode titled "Brave and the Bold," which originally debuted back on the Cartoon Network here in the states on March the tenth and March the seventeenth for part one and part two. So yay, two episodes to review this week. Mm -hmm. Back in um, March of two thousand and two, meaning we just passed the 20 year anniversary of this episode's debut. So a fun flash episode to cover today with you. Very excited to do that. Before we do, of course, get into our plot breakdown and our four categories, we will, of course, get the official IMDb synopses for this week, which, of course, and I said synopses because we have two synopsises uh, for each of these episodes, uh, and uh, that, of course, is brought to you by the Pod Tower, head over to youtube.com slash The Pod Tower, and uh, you can not only get all of our past episodes in wonderful YouTube form, uh, but you also get some of our bonus episodes as well as other uh, amazing content from some great DCAU content creators. Uh, not only does it uh, do you get those episodes delivered to you, but it helps us out if you subscribe and like the videos. So head over to youtube.com/ the pod tower and lend your support and uh, ring that bell as they say.
1: Absolutely, cal So this is the synopses for the Brave and the Bold, parts one and two, which were written by what a trio here. Uh, Paul Deeney and Rich Fogel and Dwayne McDuffie uh, all have writing credits on this episode. I believe this is actually uh, the first pair of episodes that Dwayne McDuffie is credited on. He's the teleplay, which I think means that he actually like scripted the episode out. The the story is credited to to Mr. Deeney and Mr. Fogel, but uh, yeah, this is uh, the first of what would be many uh, uh, fun episodes, of course, that Mr. McDuffie would work on here as a as a writer for the series and later a producer. But we have uh, the three of them. We also have, of course, the director of the episode, Mr. Dan Reba, of both parts. Uh, Music for both parts done by Michael McQuistion and the animation for both parts done by Coco. And those synopses read as such. Gorilla Grodd uses a mind control device to obtain isotopes that will help destroy Gorilla City. To that end, he enlists the Flash to oppose the Green Lantern i really like the use of to that end
2: that end is good that's plus plus for the english use of that term agreed
1: agreed all right and the synopsis for part two central city is under the rule of Grodd, who plans on attacking gorilla city with missiles as flash confronts the maniacal ape the team races to stop the destruction
2: the maniacal ape that's uh that's mm-hmm. good. i like that so wording I, I appreciate the uh the vocabulary use of different uh different words it's a little bit wordy i feel like in the second part uh, but uh it's fine it's, it gets the job done i'd say
1: yeah i would say so as we can kind of jump to our plot here but yeah it's
2: Probably the Wait, bulk right, of- before before we get into the plot, I just need to say it. it's 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 very it's very concise. It's it's uh it's talking gorilla uh, <laughs> rebels against uh, his government in Gorilla mm-hmm. City, um yeah, and then gets banned. Uh, attempts to take over that city with mind control, gets banned, steals plans, and then decides to uh, to exact revenge by su- shooting nuclear missiles at. Them. <laughs> a tale as old as time. We say it every single time. It's a tale as old as time.
1: It's also oh. slightly
2: derivative of uh, of of uh, Bird City, as we've pointed yes. out. You know, Mister Wing, uh, hailing from Bird City, feels a little bit like they ripped it off. But uh, we'll save that. For
1: also, life. a Paul Dini character. <laughs> it's
2: true. This is true. Uh, very good. Very good point. But yes, uh, proceed with the actual synopsis.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's it's two episodes, so we don't necessarily need to go scene by scene. But yeah, we open up with the Flash sort of hanging out at a diner in in Central City, bragging about one of his latest capers to a couple of uninterested young ladies and the that are also in the restaurant before a. Uh, out of control. Actually, that's actually not how we start. The start is we get a little cold open where there's like an archaeological dig going on mm-hmm. and these two uh, two archaeologists are kind of sn- snipping at each other a little bit about the find and then this uh, the, the woman un- uncovers a, uh, a, uh, a a skull that, that appears to not be human nor does it appear to be primate, some sort of hybrid and uh, as they're sort of uh, talking about what this skull could be <laughs> Uh, the giant mountains and cliffs behind them suddenly disappear and we see a giant futuristic city and a uh, a gorilla on a flying scooter f- zips on by <laughs> and then an, uh, being chased by a couple of other gorillas on flying scooters.
0: <laughs> What's the saying? Mad
2: dogs and Englishmen?
0: All for a good cause, my dear. What's this? Let me see. It appears to be older than the Proconsul Africanus. This could be the greatest discovery in the history of mankind. Ah! Humans!
2: This has to have been a Paul Dini written scene because they just go. Ah, humans, and then they turn back around, and then the city forms back into this mountain that's that's uh, this holographic mountain that's disguising the city. And the the male archaeologist was the only one who sees it, and he's left there sort of aghast as the woman questions like what that sound was, and Mm -hmm. obviously he can't share that he just saw two gorilla, two talking gorillas ride by on flying scooters. So uh, that yeah, that leads us into the uh, the opening credits.
1: It's amazing to me the gorillas city uh stayed hidden as long as it did because (laughs) (laughs) they just came i guess maybe there had never been a conflict of this size in the in such an advanced city before Uh the fact that they they were just like in the middle of the desert we figure out later they have this big dome in what appears to just be a a mountain you know a mountainside uh that conceals the city and they just came zipping right out and (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they're just there were humans standing right there like two feet away from the city so uh yeah it was a uh, it was a little bit of a bungle there for the uh, for the guerrilla city security force it was yes. after our uh, of course our tremendous theme song we get get into what we were talking about a little bit before which is Flash uh, in Central City, suddenly a truck comes barreling through uh, the w- the front window of this restaurant, and then Flash sort of springs into action, as he's told by the driver, that uh, another driver sort of ran him off the road, and we get a really fun chase sequence. We'll certainly talk more about that in visuals, as Flash is sort of tracking down these two men with have sort of futuristic guns, and we don't know quite what they're stealing. But finally, after uh, quite a lengthy chase, Flash is able to, uh, to get them to sort of overturn their car and is able to save them as it goes careening off the side of a bridge. And thankfully, uh, Green Lantern is there to catch the truck before it lands in the, uh, in, in, the, uh, in the river. And then we figure out what, in fact, they were stealing as GL lets us know that a, a truck of radioactive isotopes, you know, one of those. <laughs> of course. Uh, was, uh, was stolen from this lab there in Central City. Uh, so GL and Flash go to investigate and they, they meet up with this immediately like very suspicious doctor who um, uh, we'll later find out is kind of our, our co-villain of this episode. But uh, she, uh, she's kind of quick to brush it off that these, these two people were scientists. That's the other, news, the two men driving the truck once uh, Flash and Green Lantern capture them uh, don't seem to have any memory of, of what happened or, or how they got on this bridge or certainly don't have any memory of trying to steal these isotopes. And Flash, uh, Flash and Green Lantern go off to visit this, this mysterious doctor. She kind of brushes them off and just suggests that, uh, that there's, uh, they must have been under a lot of stress. And uh, this is, though we don't maybe realize it right away, this is our, our first introduction to, uh, to Grodd.
0: I'm sorry, I can't explain their behavior. They're both highly respected experts in their fields.
1: They certainly don't fit the profile
0: of armed robbers. To be fair, they've been under enormous pressure to finish their current project. It's possible they simply snapped under the strain. I wish I could help you, but frankly, the whole
1: thing just seems so preposterous.
0: What are they working on?
1: That's classified
2: information. Want one? Hey!
0: If you'll excuse me, I have work to
1: do. As we uh, we see uh, Flash taking some bananas that were on the table nearby, and attempting to feed one to this this gorilla in a cage, despite there being a large sign saying uh, "no feeding of the animals." <laughs> and uh, and speaking of gorillas, uh, there's uh, there's one on the loose in Central City which kind of causes Flash to jump into action once again. Uh, and once again, kind of leaving Green Lantern in the dust and trying to take it all on, on his own. As we sort of see the, the theme of the episode is,
2: uh, is the, the Flash keeps uh, acting without thinking. Yeah, that's uh, they're definitely setting that up as a character flaw for Wally, unfortunately. But uh, as he chases after the gorilla who manages to escape a whole lot of police through a couple of different playgrounds and through downtown Central City, jumping into a car, eventually carjacking someone actually stealing the car and ending up in a a high speed chase with the flash. Uh, The second high speed chase of the episode, by the way, we're less than like 10 minutes into the episode. Episode, we have two car uh-huh. chases. Uh, you gotta gotta show the Flash's power somehow, I suppose. So he does manage to track Salvar, you know, who we learn it later on is Salvar, down and uh, pulls him over. And the gorilla begins talking to him, much to the Flash's surprise. And uh, it's from there that we see that Salivar is in the crosshairs of a uh, of some sort of weapon. Uh, we cut up to the top of this roof, and wouldn't you know? It's that same Dr. Sarah who the Flash was just in the lab with, with the uh, the gorilla and the other primates, <laughs> and uh, she shoots the Flash with a ray. Uh,
1: that, that... I just have to interrupt here right. because. This is a Doctor, who yes, we we met one scene earlier and was clearly maybe a little bit suspicious. She is just like she is standing on the rooftop with a bazooka.
2: Yes, in full, not a, she's, full not in yes, uh, she's not in a
1: disguise. Yes, she's not in disguise. I'm wearing like tactical gear. She's not even wearing like a hoodie and jeans or something sort of nondescript. She is in a dress and high heels and a lab coat. And she's firing a laser bazooka at one of the world's most famous superheroes in broad daylight. It's amazing.
2: Yeah, it is it is pretty, pretty hilarious. And uh, she hits the flash uh, and, and not Solivar. So she hits the flash and uh, the flash goes through this series of hallucinations where we see him take on a couple of different forms. And then uh, we see him running and trying to keep up. And then he sort of turns into a marionette puppet. And uh, it's from there that he's uh, his strings are cut and he is dropped and he lands and he wakes up. Uh, in a jail cell where he's escorted out by a couple of uh, central city detectives who have some footage to show him of him stealing the isotopes from the truck that they impounded earlier in the episode. Uh, They have some questions for him and what's going on. Thankfully the green lantern is there and, uh, and, and vouches for him and insists uh, insists that there's some sort of chicanery going on. Uh, as they walk out the Green Lantern is uh, quite skeptical at the idea that there could be a talking gorilla but decides to give the Flash the benefit of the doubt and then they uh they do track down Salvar quite uh, quite quickly after that and uh, that's where we kind of get the full entire backstory just not only of who Grodd is but uh all about Gorilla City at this point
0: was that really necessary? Okay, so we can talk. Who are you? My name is Solivar. I'm chief of security for Gorilla City. Gorilla City? You've got to be kidding! I assure you, this is no laughing matter. Go on. Safely hidden from humanity, we apes have lived in peace for thousands of years. to the black day when a power-mad genius named Grodd tried to conquer our city with advanced mind control technology. We were able to thwart his evil plot, but we couldn't prevent his escape. until later that we discovered he had also stolen our city's security plans Grodd has sworn terrible revenge on all who reside in gorilla city
2: so that's why you're here yes to stop him from carrying out his threats and uh it's uh it's at this point that the flash decides that well they need to uh they need to go stop Grodd, and he ha- knows exactly how he's going to stop him and speeds away before Salvar can provide him with these headbands, which he gives one to Green Lantern and puts one on himself, which will keep them from both being mind controlled. As he's told Flash that that's exactly what happened to him and why he ended up stealing the isotopes was because he was under Grodd's control. Uh, that that Grodd's mind control was the thing that uh, attempted to overthrow the government of Gorilla City and why it ended up getting him ousted. Uh, well, they, they chased him out of town, he escaped uh, guerrilla City's authorities and uh, escaped with the plans to Guerrilla City, whatever that uh, whatever that does, as we learn in part two, that's going to be quite important. But uh, so, yeah, the Flash, uh, the Flash runs off and uh, and meets Grodd and uh, and this Dr. Sarah at the uh, back at the uh, back at the lab. And uh, we have a, a small battle at this point as Flash uh, Flash attempts to, to get as much information as he can out of the Doctor, but before he can, he's blindsided by Grodd, who knocks him out, uh, only for Green Lantern and Salvar to arrive, thinking they have him cornered. But uh, using his mind control helmet, he takes over the Flash's mind, and a battle ensues between uh, Flash, Solivar, and Green Lantern. As we have uh, have the Flash once again mind controlled, uh, he is able to to uh, to be overtaken by by Green Lantern and Salivar, But uh, we have our. Our, the ending of our episode as as grad turns on his uh, his isotope machine uh, in the heart of Central City and w- at, we get this cliffhanger that looks like Central city has been wiped off the face of the planet
1: yeah it's a pretty dramatic ending to uh, to part one here is it almost looks like a, a mushroom cloud is forming at first but yeah it's just a uh, to find out it's a it's a big force field as we we open up on part two is, we quickly see that Green Lantern and uh, and uh, and Salavar are still alive, and they give the Flash a headband, which sort of wakes him up. And they, as they sort of are getting their bearings, they they notice that there's a, a sort of an energy barrier around the city, and uh, they're not quite sure what's going on. As of course, Grout has escaped. They quickly uh, see that Green Lantern is not able to. Disable the core uh, that's controlling this uh, this force field, so they're sort of back to square one. They attempt to try to call in backup to uh, to help them take down Grodd, but can't get through. And that's when we finally get some other Justice Leaguers in this episode, uh, which is uh, right at the start of part two. We have uh, it's very quickly established that uh, Martian Manhunter, Wonder Woman, and Hawkgirl are all on the on the watchtower and they they notice that's uh, as uh, as is quite obvious that central city has vanished and that there's some sort of strange energy signature so as they go to investigate it they're uh, they're quickly met by uh, as as they approach that doesn't look like anything's there but of course there is this field the the javelin sort of crashes into it and they have to make an emergency landing and, uh, and the, the Justice League is, is quite aware that there's something going on here, but they aren't quite sure what to do about it or what exactly even is going on. But uh, thankfully Batman's here to, uh, to do some, some exposition for us. <laughs> Diana, I've analyzed the data you sent. Can you tell us how to penetrate the force field?
0: Not yet, but I've discovered something else. A second energy signature, similar to the one you've encountered, except it's in Africa. Africa. Could the city have been transported there? Unlikely, but it's worth investigating. I'm sending coordinates to your onboard GPS. I'll rendezvous with you there.
2: Yeah, thankfully, uh, he learns that there's a a force field uh, of similar energy size and uh, and giving off the same same sort of energy signal as that one in uh, somewhere in Africa. Uh, They speculate that perhaps Central City has been shifted to Africa, but they're not sure. So Batman readies the javelin for uh, or one of the javelins, I suppose, because uh, this one was somewhat damaged in the original finding of uh, or attempt to find Central City. So Batman and then uh, the Wonder Woman and uh, Hawkgirl and Martian Manhunter all pile into the javelin and fly to Africa for the time being, at least to an attempt to find out just what this other energy signal could be. Meanwhile, uh, we uh, we are back in Central City at this point, and we uh, the Flash awakens and has given one of his headbands to protect his brain from being controlled. And uh, he and, and Green Lantern and Salvar begin exploring uh, what's going on in Central City. It's very quiet until they stumble upon a uh, a bit of a rally. I would call it. I would call it a rally. Maybe mm-hmm. perhaps a political rally. I don't know. But there's yeah, a there's somebody else too. That, <laughs> yeah somebody speaking very loudly and riling the crowd up almost seemingly with a a cultic control over the crowd seemingly
1: gaining power from the headgear that he wears
2: yeah there's there's no absolutely no parallel <laughs> here between this and real life. But, uh, you know, seems very, very uh, impossible to happen. It's, it's there's no way this could happen in real life. But anyway, so uh, so as we get closer, they realize that Grodd is, in fact, l- the leader of this mob. And he's telling them about how humans are so terrible and they have a bad smell about them. That made me cackle. And uh, and they're off putting and they're destroying the Earth. So. Uh, He's going to uh, do his best to destroy everything and they're going to they're going to help him, uh, you know, take over the world. People of Central City, the age of hairless, simple minded humanity is over.
0: Today, a new age dogs. Today, broad rules. Humans are slow, ugly, immoral, and have an unpleasant body odor. Hey, who you calling slow? Flash, don't heckle the supervillain. We don't have to listen to this. Humans are inferior creatures, fit only to serve at my whim. But after Gorilla City falls, you will be the paving stones on which I will build my new empire. Hey, monkey boy, why don't you go climb a skyscraper? Intruders, destroy them.
2: Uh, they're clearly all under his mind control. Meanwhile, the flash decides at this point, it's good to try and chide, uh, the, the, the Grodd and, uh, and try and taunt him. Uh, I, I, and, uh, well, it's, it doesn't turn out very well, uh, as, as Green Lantern pleads with him not to heckle a supervillain, uh, in that moment, which I thought was a little bit meta, but hilarious. And, uh. It, at this point, Grodd hears him after the second or third comment that he makes, and and he has the the mob turn on him, and uh, and Salvar and. Green Lantern at the same time. Thankfully, they they're able to briefly hold them off, but uh, not before uh, Grodd escapes. So GL decides to go after Grodd, and uh, Flash and Solovar have to find their own way out of the uh, the angry mob. And that's when we uh, we flash back to our our team of just, Justice Leaguers who have made their way to this mysterious. Other energy source uh, in an attempt to discover what's going on, and uh, as they are inspecting this sort of shield, or as uh, as, uh, as Martian Manhunter calls it, the asynchronous dimensional interface, um, they uh, they are unfortunately they're blindsided by a weapon that pops out of the ground and awaken in control uh, uh, under the control of several talking gorillas.
1: That is right. We get a uh, a gorilla security chief with one eye, <laughs> which I think is a is a cute little bit there, but yes, the uh, the Justice Leaguers are sort of taken hostage there and and uh they're they're interrogated by this gorilla who's convinced that they're an invading army from the humans.
2: They don't um, take kindly to outsiders. That's
1: right. There's a very yes, there's there's some lessons to be learned here, but it's uh but where they aren't quite sure what's going on. Meanwhile, we cut back to Central City where, uh, where Flash and GL and, uh, and Solivar have made it to this, uh, this military base where Grodd and the Doctor have taken over and we find out what Grodd's true plans are. And I, I guess other than that the Justice League, other than that, so the Justice League couldn't be there when he launches the missiles <laughs> I'm not sure why he needed to do the dome around Central City to launch these missiles at Gorilla City. Yeah, did, but yeah, I didn't. Other than to have some sort of contrivance to get the Justice League to Africa uh, to, so they could be in Guerrilla City. But anyway, uh, he, he is finally successful, and Grodd is successful in launching these missiles with the doctor's assistance. And a Green Lantern takes off after the missiles while Flash and Sullivar. Uh, are heading uh, heading in to try to stop Grodd once and for all and then of course we cut back as the uh, the guerrillas and continue to try to interrogate the Justice League and just refuse to believe that they could be anything other than an invading force Batman is able to free himself and uses his gadgets to free Wonder Woman and Martian Manhunter and and Hawkgirl and they are are able to escape and uh, (laughs) they run out into gorilla city we have like a really funny bit that i'll probably talk about i don't know if i would talk about this in visuals but there's just like i don't know if this was intentional comedy but there's a bunch of shots where it's like the three people that can fly zipping through the shot and then batman's like jogging behind (laughs) i mean somebody should have picked him up i mean all three at least two of the three people that can fly also have enough super strength to carry a, a human body with them. I'm not sure why Batman had to run and swing behind them, but uh, but that happens for a bit. And then we're kind of cutting as, as we get to the final here, as we're kind of cutting between them trying to escape Gorilla City. We have Green Lantern in the air, trying to take down the, these missiles. He's able to take down two of them. However, uh, as he's, uh, the, the other two begin to approach Gorilla City, as he destroys the second one, a piece of shrapnel kind of catches him off guard and, uh, and he is out of commission. So there's two missiles left heading for Guerrilla City with the Justice League and the security force there as the, the force field has gone down and the security chief is now sort of just going to leave the Justice League to their own devices as he feels like they have to regroup to figure out what Grodd is doing. And uh, Wonder Woman sort of steps up and offers to help uh guerrilla city in their in their time of need and then we uh so that's that's sort of our end here we have the the confrontation as as wonder woman and and martian manhunter and hawkgirl are able to stop the missile seemingly and uh and on the other hand we have flash and sullivar coming face to face with grod for their final confrontation
2: yeah that's right and uh and thankfully green lantern awakens right before he hits the ground uh, I, I actually had forgotten, I thought for some reason that uh, Hawkgirl had been the one to save him, but he actually just by happenstance happens to awaken before hitting the ground, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, again it's too late so uh, as the two missiles head towards Gorilla City thankfully uh, Martian Manhunter meets one of the missiles out and is able to disable it Hawk girl. Uh, also adding to the this character is super headstrong. I, this is early on in the uh, in season one as we mentioned so uh, they're still really establishing this sort of one dimension of Hawk Girl's uh, character and that is she is headstrong and then she thinks first with her fists and not so much with uh, with her brain. So she goes a full, Full attack mode on the missile with her uh, with her mace, and which allows part of the missile to break off, but then the other half is still headed towards the city. Thankfully, Wonder Woman is able to step in front of it, and uh, it actually uh, looks like at the last second that perhaps the missile has taken out Wonder Woman as she sort of pulls a Superman here and gets in front of it using her uh, using her super strength puts her feet in the ground and attempt to slow it down. Eventually it does, but unfortunately lands on top of her batman again uh running on the ground shows up and it begins to start digging with his hands very forcefully attempting to dig and try and get wonder woman out from underneath of it but uh this is a weird moment i feel like because martian Manhunter should be able to read whether or not wonder (laughs) woman is still alive or not Mm -hmm. Uh, they don't really explain it but all he does is come and put his hand up on batman's shoulder and batman sort of slumps down as if as if he's been defeated and understands to stop digging because it's too late, Uh, but of course we get the missile lifting up just a half second later on and wonder woman stands up uh, to cheers, and she mentions that the the fates were on the side of gorilla city that day because the missiles have been been defeated at that point so uh she notices that batman has has gloves that have been dirtied uh, by uh, his attempt to dig and free her or to search for her and uh she gives him a little peck on the cheek which of course uh, this is one of our first instances of uh of wonder bat shipping uh, for that's the, right she, uh, for the series she gives him a little peck on the cheek and uh and uh, Batman sort of uh, bashfully turns away at that point. So, uh, yeah. So that wraps up our our portion there at Guerrilla City for the time being. Then, uh, then meanwhile, back in the in uh, the lab. Gorilla Grodd realizes and is informed uh, by by the doctor that all of the missiles at this point have been stopped, and Grodd, who has uh, has taken out Salavar at this point, is uh, is now going mano a mano with the Flash. The Flash is is clearly faster and bettering him and frustrating Grodd in this uh, in this attempt at, at fisticuffs. And uh, in a moment of desperation, uh, the Flash, in his taunting ways, seems to be uh, again being head strong and taking advantage of uh, or thinking only with his head and not not thinking with his brain and uh, and decides to go headstrong into this this fight and challenges Grodd to take his headgear off uh, and and Flash promises to take his own off so of course Flash lifts his headband off before Grodd does and Grodd uh, calls him a fool and says that uh, he's the world will miss his intellect as he attempts to use His helmet. Stand still and fight me, you simpleton! We could do that. Tell you what, you ditch the mind control helmet, and I'll ditch the headband. Flash, don't!
0: Come on, Gorilla, my dreams, take off the helmet! (laughs) You're a bigger fool than I thought. Oh, yeah? Well, you're naked! The world will miss your sparkling intellect. Goodbye, Flash.
2: What have you done to him? Simple. When I pushed the helmet down over his eyes, I also crossed some wires. How could you? You've destroyed the greatest mind on Earth! You'll be okay, now that you're free from his mind control.
0: What are you talking about? He never used that on me. I loved
2: it. But uh, right before this, the Flash had actually pushed Grodd's helmet down over his eyes, and in the meantime, we learn he had actually crossed some wires up. So when Grodd goes to use an attempt to uh, to to once again regain control over the Flash's brain, he uh, his brain himself fries. uh, Well, his own brain fries. So uh, (laughs) so uh, he he collapses, and we learn that uh, Doctor Sarah goes to to console Grodd and. Uh, Flash tells her that she won't care that much once now that she's free of his uh, mind control and we learn that uh, this doctor was not under any control that she uh, she loved Grodd and thought that he was the most brilliant mind the world had ever known so. Uh, we i guess uh, she goes off to jail and then our (laughs) our our final our final scene is uh is is back at gorilla city we have uh the the members of the justice league that appeared in this episode speaking with the leaders of gorilla city the general with the one eye and salivar and uh, they have grod behind bars in a containment and he's sitting there eating a banana which by the way he mentioned earlier on to flash that he hates bananas but he's sitting there holding a banana and playing with a tire swing sort of mindlessly. Salvar mentions that uh, his brain had been completely wiped at this point and that they promised to take care of, uh, of Grodd and make sure that he gets the best care. They uh, say their thanks to the Justice League and bid them adieu. And then we get the closing shot on Grodd who's sitting there kind of staring mindlessly. But then in the last second before we fade to black, he begins to grimace and crushes the banana in his hand, letting us know that this is not the last we'll see of one Gorilla <laughs> Grodd. And uh, that wraps up our, uh, our, our synopsis for this week's episode. So what would you think of this one, Liam? Uh,
1: I like this one. This is one uh, we were talking a little bit before we got on the air. This is definitely one we had uh, that we had taped off of Cartoon Network, probably at our grandfather's house um, or that maybe he had taped for us. But uh, so this was one I was very, very familiar with. I watched this episode so many times Uh uh, because we had it on tape to the point where I'm not even sure if I ever watched this when it was on, like when it came, when the DVD came out or, or, uh, you know, since it's been on streaming, even, you know, before we were doing our show when it was on Netflix or whatever, I genuinely don't think I've ever gone back and watched this one because I had seen it probably double digit times. Uh, when when it was you know when the show was actually airing, um, so it was it, it was fun to go back to it in that way because it felt very familiar and there's a lot of specific lines and moments I remember. It. Um, the thing is, and it's funny because Paul Dini, when I saw Paul Dini wrote it, there's a, there are some really fun quirky bits in this episode or quirky lines throughout the two parts that feel like Paul Dini, you know, uh, hallmarks. And again, we also have Dwayne McDuffie working on the on the script and Rich Fogel on the story. But, like to me, for how kind of innately silly all of this is, it's not funny enough
2: for me. Same, yeah.
1: Like, like there's the like Flash is inherently kind of a funny character because he's so impulsive and and a little bit stupid. Um, and there's like some really good quirky jokes, like the the bit where he saves the two girls. And then he runs away. That you know runs into action, and the, and the one girl is like, "Oh, you didn't want to give him your phone number," and then he just saved our lives. Like that's kind of funny. And then there's the bit where. Uh when he tells the, the the good cop when he's being interrogated that he, he takes his coffee with 37 sugars. <laughs> like, I think that's pretty good. The bit yeah. where Grodd is doing his his big fascist dictator speech and he's like, humans are dumb and stupid and they smell bad. Yes. <laughs> like, yep. that's really funny. Of course, doing it in a, a very eloquent, uh, as we'll get to in voice acting eventually. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's like, there's some very funny lines in this episode. But it's so quirky, just the whole idea of a guerrilla city, the whole idea of, of and the plan being I'm going to put this dome around Central City and then launch missiles at this guerrilla city like it's so silly and over the top, our villain is a, a super smart gorilla with a mind control helmet. And I just I feel like if this episode came in even the second season of Justice League, much less in like the JLU run, they would have leaned way heavier into the comedy side. And I think it would have been way better because that are, you know, and again, but because this comes in this first season, I feel like it a lot of it is played straight as more of just like a straight adventure cartoon. Mm-hmm. And I think it kind of suffers for that. Yeah. Um, because like I said, I think there are some funny moments and I think the plot as it is is fun. I also think the episode gets less interesting when the other Justice Leaguers are involved. 100%. Like I think if this had just been a green light, as much as that maybe wouldn't have made sense for them because maybe you don't want to just do a two-leaguer episode. Um, which again, I feel like they could have pulled off later on down the line um, when maybe they had more uh, more equity with the with Cartoon Network. But yeah, it's like once, once the other leaguers show up and we have to split off from the Grod stuff and the, the mind control and all this interesting stuff to, uh, you know, to see the Justice League come to the force field and then fly to Africa to the other force field and then get captured. And it's not like any of that's bad, but I don't think any of it's as interesting as what Flash and Green Lantern are doing. And because the first episode is so solely focused on those two characters, especially the Flash because as we talked about the whole idea of this episode culminating in that final fight with Grodd is Flash is an idiot. And he's so impulsive that he keeps running in and making things worse, even though, you know, he's supposed to be the superhero that protects everyone. Mm -hmm. And then at the end he learns his lesson. He actually gets Grodd to be impulsive and, and, and act without thinking. And he actually outsmarts the super genius. Like it's a great, like that's a great little bookend, but the stuff in the middle there with the Justice League going to Africa and getting captured and then freed and then they stop submissiles. Like it's fine, but it's not not as good or and like I said, not as wacky as I as I wanted it to be. Mm -hmm. Um, So for all those reasons, I ended up coming to a six out of 10 for my plot
2: score for this week. (laughs) Um, So my thoughts were uh, along those same lines. um, And it's probably why I gave it the same exact score, six out of 10. (laughs) Um, I thought that, you know, it, it just for, for the stakes that they had going for them, it didn't, it didn't feel that interesting to me. Like I had no, I had no attachment to the people of Gorilla City mm-hmm. because they didn't really you don't really spend a lot of time developing an attachment to those people um i think i was thinking about like the, the war world episode right like the mm-hmm. reason why you kind of feel for draga at the end of that episode is because you learn that this character that is so brutal had this family and they give him a backstory and they give him this sort of emotional impact for what's going to happen to him if he ends up losing to superman and why he's fighting and all that stuff right so mm-hmm. you don't really really have an emotional connection to the people of guerrilla city here because you're not you don't spend that much time there and when you do they're kind of bullying the justice league albeit rightfully so because they don't know who they are but (laughs) they're bullying the justice league so you're like well do I care if these missiles are, like, what's, what's the drama here is the drama that they're not going to escape in time and that the Justice League might be killed. Maybe if there was more of a focus on that because the Justice League basically escape right away there's no tension mm-hmm. there. So maybe if the story had been written so that you're thinking that these captured justice league members could be killed by these missiles because they're trapped by this guerrilla army and they're not able to escape and you build the tension up there that could have been one direction that would have made it a little bit more interesting mm-hmm. maybe you develop the salivar character a little bit more you have all of the action take place in gorilla city or in in a, in proximity to gorilla city so that they're you're able to sort of develop this uh, this, this emotional attachment to the people. And then when the missiles are incoming, you start to feel a little bit more uh, anxious and upset about it. But I didn't really, I didn't care like I didn't care that the missiles were going there I didn't care that they didn't give you time to feel emotionally connected to anything uh in this episode really other than you're rooting for of course your heroes so because of that the stakes that should be very high especially when a when a talking gorilla is launching nuclear missiles (laughs) uh did not feel as high as they should be I feel like and then uh yeah it just at times it it felt a little bit disconnected I do like the thread like the main story being this the flash is is headstrong and needs to learn to not not be as headstrong and ultimately is served at the end. Uh, but I think because the other Justice League members are brought in for such a large portion of part two, you miss some of the impact that, that had on the flash or the, the sort of aha moments mm-hmm. uh, for him to sort of come to the realization that he does need to slow down and not be so quick to action and, and should focus, focus on being quicker to think. Um, but we don't quite get enough beats in the story because it's divided attention between this b story of of the other members trying to discover you know what's going on so um yeah for all those reasons and and just because uh, you know some of it is there's there is some action here but it's most of the action in part one as i mentioned there's two car chases which feels like you should have like a cap on, on an episode of how many car chases you can have car chases are effective. (laughs) We've talked about it before. Usually when they do the visuals and they pair it with some good music and you have the, the tensions rising, it's a great combination. But when you just had this chase to start things off and then, probably five minutes later you have another chase occurring feels like you should have saved that for another point or introduced the salivar character to flash in a different way as opposed to the flash just had this big car chase hey let's have him chase down another car to stop salivar but he doesn't even stop salivar it's you know he's he's hit by this missile ray in the in the process um so yeah, uh, it's not terrible. There are some points to chuckle with, I think, I think the most surprising thing also was is that if you, I didn't, I didn't watch the, the credits so I didn't notice Paul Dini's name said I don't think I would have known this was a Paul Dini episode. Mm-hmm. Which there's usually signature humor and signature, you know, signature moments. And maybe it's because it was divided between him and Mr. Fogel and Mr. McDuffie. So it wasn't just all of Paul Dini's brain uncensored sort of working on on the episode. Mm-hmm. But you, you almost expect more zaniness and wackiness from him. And this episode was certainly, I feel like, devoid of that in part. So, again, uh, something else to just write in, write in there. It's early Justice League episodes. They're still finding their footing. There's still fun uh, to, and enjoyment to be had for this episode. But uh, yeah, maybe, maybe not their strongest outing when you put both parts together. Agreed. All right, Liam, let's move on to our animation and visuals. As you mentioned, uh, the director of this episode is... Dan Reba. Dan Reba, that's right. The great Dan Reba. And then uh, Coco was responsible for the animation. Uh, What stuck out to you as far as animation for the episode?
1: Uh, Well, speaking of car chases, probably that opening sequence where Flash is chasing down the the isotope truck. Uh I think that's really fantastic. One thing that I don't necessarily feel... the this show at least to my memory and we haven't watched everything yet is i never really get a sense for how fast the flash is mm-hmm. um and certainly there's there's episodes later on just League unlimited and things where they they sort of go towards more that comic or maybe if you've seen the tv show where he's moving so fast that you know basically everyone around him is in sl- is either in slow motion or or frozen in place and you don't really get that sense with him in this but I do think the way that the, you know, the, the way everything is animated and the way the, the camera sort of sweeps around and you watch him sort of, you know, dodging and jumping over and, and, and running over cars and, you know, changing lanes as, as he's following the truck. And then, you know, at one point he's, he's chasing the truck, but then as, as the, he's sort of running up on this little ledge on the, on the side of a building and, and the, uh, the bad guys shoot at it and there's debris falling. And he, at first he's kind of jumps down and starts to run after them, but then he, notices that there are two people in in peril so he kind of turns around and runs back and does the the kind of classic flash tornado run around in a circle to get rid of the debris and then and then goes right back to the uh, to the to the chase and ultimately ends up you know landing on top of the the truck and and then eventually is able to kind of get them to, to try to run him off the road, but in the process they uh, they flip the truck over, and it all kind of leads into this one this one kind of frenetic moment where you know the truck flies over, and he jumps in and gets the two uh, the two bad guys out of the truck, and jumps to safety as the truck goes careening over the side of the guardrail, and then right as it looks like it's about to splash into the water, the you know the the, the green the green energy engulfs it and you see that Green Lanterns arrive at the last second to kind of intervene. So I think that whole sequence from start to finish from when he when he kind of plucks the two women out of the way of the truck in the diner all the way through to when Green Lantern catches the uh the the tractor trailer there. I think that's just a that's probably the most fantastic sequence. And it's really it's done. It's not quite done like it's all one shot, but it feels like it's all one continuous motion and to me it's maybe some of the best stuff we've seen as far as getting a sense of how the flash moves and and how he operates when he's kind of traversing a whole city like he is here
2: yeah uh i think that's that's definitely something that stood out uh, when it came to uh when it came to uh, some of the, some of the, the sequences for this episode, it's hard not when you kick things off right away, uh, how fun that episode or that part of the episode is, as you mentioned, including that he's got to stop and he's got to use this, the, the, tornado powers, you know, to uh, spin in his arms real fast to, to, to save this couple from a building collapsing around them. And uh, yeah, there's, there's uh, lots of the, the flashes, power uh powers on display uh for that for that sequence i want to i want to chat about the uh the sequence that uh was probably maybe the the most goofy and fun uh version or uh moment of the episode and that's when he's going through the uh through the different uh uh, <laughs> the series of hallucinations that he's experiencing, uh, which include a couple of uh, shout outs to a couple of Silver Age Flash comics, including uh, Flash number 177, which was where they got the uh, the big headed Flash. Uh, he's got the giant, uh, the, his brain is like swelling. Uh, that was from Flash number 177. And then the, uh, mm-hmm. the overweight obese Flash, uh, came from Flash number one fifteen, uh, so some uh, some homages to some Silver Age goofiness uh, of the Flash <laughs> there, and of course that that would have been the Barry Allen Flash, not the not the uh, the Wally West Flash. But we also get to see the Flash's origin in that moment, also a brief uh, a brief flash pun intended of the uh, the Flash's origin of him being a, a scientist and getting struck by lightning, and as we mentioned the the marionette puppet. I may have missed one or two in there that were like likely homages to uh to other silver age visuals but you gotta you gotta love and appreciate some of those uh those nods to those moments in comics history that were just kind of zany and off the wall uh always appreciate those when they come through
1: (laughs) yeah absolutely that was a i did i did recognize the the flash with the big head as one but i i had i had not gone back to check on on the others so that's yeah that's those are those are great shouts that we we often see thrown in there as little easter eggs from the uh the creators working on the show and yeah that whole sequence again very kind of fast-paced and frenetic where you you start with the the flesh getting getting shot by the the laser and then you, you kind of follow him and then there's this dark screen and then you see him running out and and then he he becomes overweight and then he sees the, the hall of mirrors and then the the one with the big heads heads explodes and then it's it's all very trippy and and wacky so uh, i thought that yeah that whole sequence and the way it kind of goes from kind of strange visual to strange visual uh uh culminating with with flash turning into uh into sort of this body horror, horror moment as he he sort of looks down and his hands turn into gorilla hands
2: yeah so like, is that you think a nod to the jail apes storyline of the of the uh, that was at the early two thousands that story. Yeah, or?
1: yeah, I think so. So I love I, I love I that as well there and and uh, and kind of transitioning there from you you cut right to the the bright light shining and you're not sure what you're looking at yet and then you realize that it's the the light in the jail cell. I think yeah, that's that's a fantastic sequence as well and and definitely one of the, the standouts from from both parts. And then part two, it's like I think arguably you could say there's more action. <laughs> Mm-hmm. in it however i don't think any of it's as interesting as the stuff we just talked about visually like there's the sequence where flash and, and green lantern and solivar are kind of attacked by the mob and and green lantern is getting attacked by like the swat team um uh, central city also has an incompetent swat team so add them to the, <laughs> um yep as the, as the flash is able to uh, to misfire and he has to tell them to get out of the way as they're the one bazooka is like giving off electricity and about to blow up he has to tell them to run away mm-hmm. um but the but they do and then and then you have uh, like we said the bit where ba- i think the bit where batman you, they sort of telegraph it as 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 uh the the gorilla interrogator is kind of talking to hawk girl and martian manhunter you see batman uh, pull out the uh, the lock pick and start messing with the cuffs and then sort of when we cut back he frees himself and and throws the batarang into wonder woman's cuffs and she breaks free and and that that kind of sequence is is kind of fun i should mention here i i was noted that uh, the the backgrounds for gorilla city are reused from the the legions uh city in new kids new kids in town
2: uh, interesting
1: and the uh the gorilla city uh the the flying scooters and the weapons i believe are reused from uh, Krypton um, yes, in the sure. last, last son of Krypton uh, those were those I did pick out I was like wow that gun design looks real familiar and then yeah, uh, that's good uh, oh then then yeah for and then once I was able to look that up but yes it was taken right from uh, the last son of Krypton there so some some reused assets but I don't think it's anything too obvious uh, to where it, it takes you out of anything but yeah that that part too like I said there's some there's action. And I think the final bit there as, um, as they're stopping the, the missiles, like there's kind of a fun sequence where, where Jean phases through one and kind of just takes out the the computer or whatever and crushes it. That's kind of fun. You watch it kind of crash down and then the sequence there is Hawkgirl kind of smashes the, the missile and it kind of breaks in half and she goes after the one half, but then the, the actual warhead itself is still rocketing towards the city and Wonder Woman sort of reaches down and you see the the metal sort of begin to crush underneath her hands, but she's still not quite slowing it down and we get the, the big dramatic Hera give me strength and, and you know her legs, you know kind of hit the ground and you see her sort of start to dig into the ground to try to stop this thing and then it finally comes to this big, uh, you know, this, this moment where, where it crashes and and she's able to stop it from, uh, from going off. I think, I think that's good intense, but uh, yeah, to me, there's not, there's not a lot in part two that I think is like anywhere near as good as, as those two visuals from part one that we talked about.
2: Yeah. Uh, as far as what was distracting, I feel like in part two, there was, uh, there was a couple of things that I did notice. There's one sequence where, uh, Green Lantern gets buried under some rocks. I think it's in the. I want to say it's in the maybe opening part of the, um, of the second second part. Uh, maybe after the after. Like maybe it's the very first scene. I forget. But there's a scene where he's buried under some rocks, and the animation of him kind of bursting out from it was very very stiff. It mm-hmm. looked like very. I, I don't know what happened. It, it looked like that whoever. St- whoever actually did the animation, it was very the characters in this episode at various times felt very stiff uh, which was not not a good thing um, and then there's a couple of gaffes like the that with the headbands where in one shot green Lantern is chasing the missile and they cut to him and he, the ha- headband is off and then the next uh, part they cut back to him and the head, headband's back on or if it if it's a if it's a shot where the character's a little bit further away the headband is off so that happened a couple of times which makes it feel Uh, you know, a little bit little bit lower lower grade uh animation because of that it's I, mm-hmm. I understand it's it's hard especially i'm sure there's a team of people working on this and they don't exactly understand or may not exactly have the the full story or understand stuff that gets lost in translation when when it's being drawn but there's there should have should have been caught probably by the people that received it and been like hey this needs to be reanimated or this shot needs to be cut out or whatever if if you miss stuff like that because those headbands or, or a core part of the episode that uh the, the writers decided to write into it in order to protect these heroes brains from from Grodd and if there's a scene where it's missing it's it kind of stood out to me so mm-hmm. um I didn't I there were yeah there was just some stuff there's also this, the scene where the Justice League breaks out uh, they they begin their escape from from being held captive by the authorities. There's a there's a brief fight scene what starts out pretty interesting, you know, Batman escapes and uh, then he uses his grappling hook to to stick to the ceiling and there's some fighting that ensues. But there's a shot and I rewound it twice because I just wasn't sure. But there's a shot where Batman comes into the screen after he's after he's. Uh, used his grappling hook up he's dropped back down at some point we see him punching he jumps off screen and then the very next shot he comes swooping across the screen but his feet never touch the ground he's not holding on to a grappling gun so it appears that he flies in and gives an uppercut to somebody <laughs> and i saw it and i was like did he just fly and i rewound it and sure enough it really looks like he's flying in the scene and it was one of those things where i was like ooh did they not catch the the animator who decided to make <laughs> batman fly in this in this uh <laughs> in this scene there's a, a there's a commentary someplace I forget what which uh, which episode it was but Bruce I think T- it's world's finest world's finest yes where they had to send some of the animation back because Batman was flying in the in the uh in the episode so I, I wonder if this is one of those instances where the animator was like sure Batman they, they they don't know all superheroes fly so Batman flies in the scene and and it just wasn't caught or if there's if there's another explanation for it, then maybe maybe he got thrown by Martian Manhunter from the other side of the room or something like that. <laughs> they, because, did,
1: they did the old fastball special.
2: Yeah, perhaps. Yes, perhaps that was it. But it certainly appeared that he uh, that he flew across the screen. Um, other than that, I, I didn't have anything that really stood out other than those those uh, four part one sequences that i thought were really really interesting i i like gl chasing the the missiles down i thought that that was that was pretty solid i do love the way that wonder woman stops you know again she fills in for the superman role here uh gets to Mm -hmm. kind of forcibly get in front of the missile and use her use her strength to stop it as she puts her feet into the ground i i did like that but uh, there's not, not really much action when it comes to the way of, of Grodd versus flash it's f- flash dodging and dipping and grod punching uh, computers so you don't get much fisticuffs there there is a, a solid punch landed by green lantern on, into uh, flash's jaw <laughs> in part one uh that was great once uh once flash uh, gets his mind mind taken over by grod but yeah i didn't think anything was bad but nothing really stood out as like a, a standout sequence other than maybe the the hallucination sequence and the the car chase so uh, i went with a six out of ten for my score
1: yeah, I went uh, I went one just, just one point higher. I went seven out of ten. Like I said, I, th- I think that final bit with Wonder Woman catching the missile. Um, and then uh probably mostly most of my other score comes from uh from part one. Like I said, I think those the dream sequence and then the uh, the sequence there with uh with flash chasing down the truck at the start and the Sullivar chase when Sullivar is driving the convertible is pretty fun and wacky as well. So Um, Yeah, not not necessarily a home run uh, everywhere in the episode visually, but uh, definitely still some uh, some strong stuff.
2: Absolutely. Let's move on to music next, Liam, as you mentioned at the top, one of our dynamic music partners, uh, Mr. Michael McQuistian, responsible for this week's music. Uh, When it came to music, there were a few notes that I had. I thought that uh, they sort of tried to establish what I thought was going to be a flash theme. Uh, For the for the start of the episode, during the chase sequence, we get this orchestral undertone, we get some horns and some, uh, some strings underneath of a an electric guitar riff that continues to kind of go as he's running and chasing after the vehicle and during his, uh, his stops to save the couple from the falling building and uh, during that whole sequence we get this sort of theme that I I didn't quite pick up any place else. Uh, maybe, maybe a little bit in uh, in, in the, the following chase scene for Salivar, but I, I didn't didn't quite hear it come back. Um, I did notice that when Green Lantern pops up, we do get the, uh, the Green Lantern theme, mm-hmm. uh, which was, it's always nice to hear that, uh, that one come back into play, a, a great composition there. Um, and then uh, I think there's uh, some good music later on when we get the sort of the backstory of what happened to Guerrilla City, and then uh, ultimately the Geo and Salivar versus Flash battle uh, and then as the, 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 the machine is turned on at the end of the episode and you're sort of left wondering what happened, uh, the, uh, the, the intensity of that piece I thought was pretty solid too. Part two, I felt like there was a lot of mood setting music and, and ultimately m- most of the memorable points came from the missile uh, the missile chase, GL chasing the missiles and then the, the missiles as they head towards Gorilla City and Wonder Woman has to swoop in to save the final piece um and then uh when when wonder woman pops out from underneath the missile at the end there were some some little light light romantic undertones as she gives gives batman a little kiss on the cheek but uh yeah those were the the highlights for me did i miss anything
1: yeah those were uh, those were most of my notes as well um yeah i thought the 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 flash chase music i thought was really good um i liked uh the music in the in the in the dream sequence as well i thought it was pretty strong I did. Uh, I did. Uh, I did note the uh, the GL theme that comes in quite a few times,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, which I appreciated as well. And then the, a little bit of the Wonder Woman theme. I think which she uh, when she takes on the the rocket, and they they choose they as as I feel like we we didn't hear a lot of those uh, the earlier show themes mm-hmm. in this first season of Justice League. There's when when Batman sort of breaks out of the cuffs in part two. There is like a pretty good sounds like maybe a little bit of the, the main, the main, you know, the Lily de Ritmanis Justice League theme plays a little bit, but it's kind of more just morphs into the, the, I guess, sort of the, the standard Justice League, uh, uh, action beat there where you get the, you know, some horns and strings and and everything is the, the tempo sort of rises as the action increases. But, uh, yeah, I thought maybe that's a maybe a bit of a missed opportunity to not rely a little bit more on on the character themes when you have the the sort of character specific moments there, like they did with Green Lantern and Wonder Woman here. Yeah, but uh but yeah, overall, uh, I thought the music is is pretty strong throughout these two parts, and even that little sting, that little the shrill bit of uh strings that we hear right at the end as we sort of get this very close up look at, at Grodd's face where he's sort of this he looks brain dead, and then all of a sudden you see the eyes go down and he sort of looks at the flash and the rest of the justice league leaving and the, and the, you know, the brow furrows and, and, and the stare turns to angry. I think there's a, there's a nice little musical sting there to end our episode as well. So uh, some good stuff all around. Uh, I ended up giving music this week, a seven out of 10.
2: Nice. I went with the exact same score for that very reason. I think the GL theme really brought it up at least a, uh, at least a point for me. Um, the rest of the music is fine. It's hard. Uh, you know, we'll have to keep an ear out later on to hear if that flash theme comes back at some point. Cause I, I, it's one of those characters that I don't feel like I feel like his signature is the sound of him running. So you don't really get, mm-hmm. you don't really get a, a strong memorable theme that stands out for him. So we will have to keep an ear out for those going forward. But yeah, a, a pretty solid episode when it comes to music wise and some great, uh, great work for Mr. McQuestion. Absolutely. All right, Liam, let's move to our final category of the week, which, of course, uh, will have a lot of familiar names with our Justice Leaguers, but uh, quite a few notable actors in, in places here. Uh, let's talk about this week's voice cast.
1: That's right. So briefly, I'll just mention, we, had, we do have Phil Morris, a character we've talked about quite a few times on this show, uh, as he uh, most famously probably to fans of the show voice, uh, voices Vandal Savage later on in the series, but does quite a few voices across uh, various Warner Brothers animation. Um, so fun to see him here early in the show, just uh, playing the, the angry Gorilla General. Um, but uh, yeah also for some some big names throughout the rest of our cast here Our other guest stars uh, playing uh dr sarah carwin which is apparently this that's the doctor's name who knew? <laughs> um it's uh, virginia madden who uh, folks would know from the movie sideways as well as uh i think both the original and the 2021 reboot of candy man the horror the horror movie oh, okay um uh, as uh, as the doctor i don't i don't feel like she doesn't get a lot to do I feel like there's there's a little bit of that wacky the wacky twist at the end where it turns out she isn't mind controlled is is kind of kind of funny but she doesn't get much to do but uh, it's, it's interesting that I guess this is the other than that this establishes uh, Grodd's continued um, uh, is fetish the word he likes he's not a fan of humans but he seems to like the human
2: ladies that is that yeah yeah that sets that's, uh, sets up for later on in the. Uh... In the uh, in the series, his love interests are are, are all uh, female humans. You're right.
1: Absolutely. So there's that.
2: (laughs) I will also mention Miss Madsen. She ends up going on to play roulette, which I feel like gives her. Maybe this was a bit of an audition or maybe they felt like Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think this character, Dr. Corwin, does she come back? And I don't think she's back. Unfortunately, not No, I would have liked to have seen
1: this her become a. uh, A Cadmus. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's that's a good call. Yeah
2: yeah and so instead of coming back but they they did bring Miss Madsen back playing roulette later on so yeah
1: there we go and then we uh elsewhere in the ca- cast we have um uh he he gets so much more to do in the other episodes that I feel like this one is almost a disappointment going back to but uh playing uh, playing uh Grodd is is of course the great powers booth who folks would know from Sin City. He's uh, he's the president on one of the seasons of 24, mm-hmm. um, and you know, quite a few uh, other voice acting roles to his name. But just like a such a tremendous such a tremendous voice for voiceover work. Yep. Um, but he doesn't get a ton to do here. He has the one the funny line in part one about I hate bananas, <laughs> and then he has the this again as we already talked about the speech that he gives in the town square where he's talking about how I'm going to build my new empire and also humans are smelly. (laughs) Like, I think that's, that's kind of funny. He gets to show a little bit of that. Like he's such a, he's such a windbag. Like he's such a, he's so full of himself and so sure that he's this superior being and then probably his best stuff comes at the end, maybe of part two, where he's kind of getting more and more enraged as the missiles are getting destroyed and then flash keeps taunting him.
2: Yeah as you mentioned I think there's there's at least at least two more episodes that we get of of better uh, powers booth work here in the in justice league and then of course much more in in the justice league mm-hmm. unlimited run but yeah he's he's a fantastic voice actor I, I i don't know that you could you would put this episode on uh if you're sitting somebody down and being like this is the best work that powers booth did because as you mentioned there's not as much for him to do for the episode um i i think the line about uh, about humans being smelly and uh, when he's giving the, uh, the the diatribe from the. Uh, from the stage is is uh, is fine. Uh, he doesn't have to show a lot of emotion, but I think I think the arrogance and the cockiness that come out in his in his dialogue and the final scene with him going up against uh, Michael Rosenbaum, who we'll talk about here in a second, uh, it really is the is the true opportunity we get to see the hubris and the the arrogance that he's able to sort of give this character, who as we mentioned is so often. The, the Achilles heel for these villains is is their their belief that they are the smartest people in the room and ultimately is their undoing and truly in this in this scene in this last scene where he believes that he's once again caused flash to to act impulsively and he's just about to wipe his brain and turn it into mush uh, and and does so gleefully as he, as he again once once again puts flash's intelligence down right before he's about to, to use this helmet uh a great opportunity for for mr. booth to be able to have, have uh sort of shown off some of the intensity that he would later later show off in, uh, in other performances as as grad so yeah not, not the greatest showcase for him because of the amount of, of work that he has to do or the lack thereof but uh, I think in the in the few scenes where he was asked to kind of go toe to toe with our, our main cast uh, he does a he does a, a fantastic job.
1: Absolutely,
2: and then uh,
1: our other guest star of the piece here we have uh, David Ogden Sears, as uh, as Solivar, folks would know uh, from Mash, and uh, did voice voice work in a lot of the classic Disney films, uh, especially probably most most famously uh, Cogsworth and Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm.
2: Um,
1: but uh, just wonderful voice, like I love listening to this guy talk yeah and, like, and you're like yeah this this is about what i would think a talking gorilla would talk like <laughs> like it like it just it works like you can just tell he's an old pro and he's got a lot of uh a lot of uh, exposition to dump because he has to explain everything about what gorilla city is and who grad is and what the central conflict of everything is and explaining the the mind control headbands and all this stuff so He's got he's got a, probably more than is generally asked of a, of a guest star, or at least sometimes can be. And uh, I think he does a really good job and, and sort of him playing off of uh, of uh, of our of our main Justice Leaguers. I think he he does a pretty good job.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to argue with his pedigree. Not only did he play Cogsworth, uh, I was just reading that he played Governor Radcliffe in the Pocahontas movie. That's right. Uh, so, he, you know, he has he has quite the quite the resume of Disney performances and films and people getting cast and recast in Disney films. Uh, you have to have you have to have some something uh, about you to be able to be cast in in multiple franchises or multiple different stories, uh, especially in those Disney animated classic movies. So uh, yeah, he has a, he has a smooth way of talking. Uh, The delivery is very natural. As you mentioned, it doesn't feel like uh, maybe, maybe at first you're like, well, what would a talking gorilla sound like? And then you're like, okay, yeah, this is good. But it's also different enough where you don't naturally compare it to the ultra humanite that we've heard Mm -hmm. or uh, or even grad's voice. there's there's a differentiation. Yeah. Uh, between the two or the, the, the other talking gorillas that we see. Uh, And it's, and it's, it fits, it fits the character model and the visual that they, that they made this all of our character have. So yeah, I I think he does a a wonderful job and, and, uh, and has, has a lot to do because of the amount of screen time that character gets in interaction with, uh, with two of our main, main characters. So not only are you asking a a guest star to, uh, to come in and, 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 and sort of, Go toe to toe with a, a voice actor like Powers Booth, or to get into uh, get into conversations with with Phil lamar and Michael Rosenbaum, to DCAU legends. But uh, you're also asking him to to carry the lion's share and have have many many scenes of dialogue with these these great actors. And uh, I, I don't think he felt overmatched at any point. I feel like he uh, he pretty much held his own. So uh, would agree with you on his uh, his performance being uh, certainly uh, enjoyable for this week
1: absolutely and then uh, as you mentioned there cal we do have uh, quite a few of our six of our seven original justice leaguers in action this week we have of course maria canales barrera as hawk girl we have kevin conroy as batman susan eisenberg as wonder woman and uh, carl lumley as martian manhunter uh, like we like we sort of talked about in the plot none of them get a lot to do <laughs> because this is so much a, a flash and green lantern story like we said they they only all pop up in part two, and then they've kind of got to share a lot of kind of vague expositional dialogue about the, the force fields and, and everything. And then, you know, I, no, nobody really has a, a lot of opportunity to shine here um, uh, as far as our, our main cast, except with the exception of uh, the, two, the two main stars of this week's episode, that being, of course, Phil Lamar Green Lantern and, uh, and Michael Rosenbaum as The Flash, Obviously, like we said, when we kicked this off, this is Flash month, so we picked a Flash-centric episode. And uh, this, this, the best part of this episode, I would say, is we're really building that sort of buddy cop vibe between uh, Michael Rosenbaum's Flash and Phil Lamar's Green Lantern throughout these two parts.
2: Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's Exhibit A of of the relationship that would build between these two guys. We we briefly touched on it in our Green Lantern spotlight episode that we covered. You can hear that in the archives at dcaureview.com. But obviously, having not necessarily reviewed this episode yet, uh, we weren't able to kind of go into full detail or or to even sort of break things down as you, you mentioned. We it's not one we've because it was so so much in uh, in early rotation for us when the series was on. It was not one that we went back to frequently so yeah to to be reminded of sort of the the budding bromance between these two and the uh the relationship is as as they're they're complete opposites in so many ways uh you know as is laid out quite quite apparent in the episode as flash is headstrong and john is much more cool calm and collected and thinks things out first and wants to plan and is sort of uh, overwhelmed by the flash's Uh, jump the gun mentality on so many things, but uh, at the end, it's, it's, it's clear that, uh, Green Lantern has admiration for Flash for, for having, uh, for having sort of learned his lesson and realizing that, uh, you know, he's, he's, he sometimes needs to slow down and, and use the old brain. So yeah, there's some, there's some, uh, some witty back and forth between the two of them. It's nice to see the, the sort of the budding, as I said, the, uh, the, the very early beginnings of this, this relationship starting here. And uh, Mr. Rosenbaum and Mr. Lamar's performances definitely contribute to that I, I will say say i think i don't know if if it was some of the lines that were was smallville still filming during this time probably right so i
1: believe when the first season's dialogue was recorded that's pre-smallville okay so this is like like maybe like the because this this debuts in like oh one oh two smallville is on the air in september 01. Okay. So, like I think I think most of this if not the whole first season is recorded before Smallville.
2: I wasn't sure the reason I ask is that there were at times where it didn't feel like they were in the same room sort of talking to each other. There were some mm-hmm. lines that I felt like the flash delivered that were that felt just slightly disjointed from the from the reaction and and again it's early on uh we haven't quite laid out the the whole characteristics of each of these characters that you know it's like watching an episode of the simpsons or family guy from from season one and trying to compare it to what they sound like now or the the Mm -hmm. character characteristics of their voices now there's it's it's night and day between those characters so uh maybe some of that as as mr rosenbaum was still kind of trying to work out what the what the flash was all about But there were some lines that I felt like were not uh, not delivered the strongest. Uh, but I, I think that the and, and maybe some of the interaction between the two of them, if they were in the room, they were still working on uh, on the chemistry between the two of them that we know gets uh, gets gets to be some of the best chemistry in the show later on. So, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't say this is their strongest performance together. I think there are some good lines. I think there are some funny, funny lines, uh, certainly that, that were given and delivered uh, pretty on point by by uh by mr rosenbaum and uh some of the the green lantern dialogue uh between him and Solivar are are strong as well uh but uh yeah i i think that uh there are, is better better performances this is good but not the best is what i'll say i guess
1: yeah i would i think i would tend to agree with that like i said i think the the strongest thing is definitely those two playing off of each other but uh, maybe not every, anybody's best episode, like we are also talked about with uh, with Mister Booth as
2: uh, as
1: Scrod. Uh, so everything everything kind of considered, I ended up on a seven out of ten for my voice acting score.
2: Nice, I went just uh, just a tick higher. I went eight out of ten for mine. I think uh, I think for all the reasons that we mentioned, and just just the uh, just the per- multiple performances. Uh, by some of these uh, these legendary voice actors, I mean, Mr. Steers did such a mm-hmm. such a fantastic job as Salivar that uh, it probably brought mine up a point or two. So, eight out of ten, seven out of ten, nothing to uh, nothing to be ashamed of when it comes to scores, though, for our, our voice actors. Absolutely. Uh, all right, Liam, let's wrap things up here, totaling everything up. And I come to a final score of 27 out of 40. What about you?
1: (laughs) And uh, yeah, if I'm adding everything up here, I also have a final score of 27 out of 40.
2: There you have it. So, uh, identical scores from us. It's been a while since that's happened, but uh, it does happen from time to time, despite <laughs> disagreeing on a few, few individual categories. So let's talk about rewatchability here. It's, uh, I think this is a this is another one of those as far as the DCAU as a whole. This is pretty important because of the the role that Grodd plays later on um, in the in the rest of the series here in Justice League. There's a there's another fun Grodd episode that comes up, and then of course his uh, his whole story arc towards the end of the end of the run in Justice League Unlimited. There's a uh, there's a lot here that, that you kind of need to know about at least his motivation that's brought up again. And uh, it's a it's good foundation, as we mentioned, for the relationship between Flash and GL and and even Wonderbat. So I, I think this one gets two thumbs up for me from rewatchability, uh, even if it wasn't uh, wasn't the most solid story that could have been told. But it's fun. It's it's a lot of fun to watch, at least. And I, I don't think you'll be bored. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, like
1: I said, you can definitely say, like we said, I think if this came later in the series order, episode order i think it would be way better than it is in, in its form that it was released in but uh you know that being said it's still there's still fun to be had and then on top of that like you said you got the introduction to a recurring villain you've got the you know the furtherings or the beginnings of, of some of the you know the great interpersonal relationships that the uh, the main justice Leaguers form throughout the rest of this series and into jlu so yeah i think this is an easy uh, double thumbs up
2: and there you have it all right, Liam. Well, that will be to wrap us up for this week. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Don't forget, you can support us a few different ways. Subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. If it lets you leave a review, go ahead and leave a five-star review. And if it allows you to leave a little paragraph telling people what you like about the show, do so as well. You can subscribe to us on the pod tower, youtube.com slash the pod tower. Subscribe to the channel, like our videos. That helps us. Uh, if you want to support us monetarily, there is a link at the bottom of uh, of each and every, posts that we do via via your favorite podcast app or at our anchor.fm page. You can click on that and and uh, donate that way. You can also pick up some merch, head over to dcaureview.com for the entire archive of our, uh, our show. And then you can check on check out our merch on the merch tab. Uh, just click on that and you can pick up uh, a piece of merchandise and that supports us as well. Don't forget to follow us on your favorite social media platform. Twitter and Instagram are the main ones that we use. Uh, at DCAU review on both of those check us out join in in our conversation chat about uh, what you thought about this week's episode what's your favorite flash episode etc etc join in the uh, the flash month celebration here liam uh, flash month continues next week with another flash episode let's give the listeners a little preview that's
1: right cal it's going to be another episode of justice league another two episodes of justice league we will be tackling this time jumping into season two and the two-part episode eclipsed will be coming up next week
2: oh very exciting and one that uh i don't think i've watched too often not in the heavy rotation so uh it'll be like getting a brand new episode of justice league in some parts, i feel like so absolutely excited to watch that with you as we continue with flash month but until then i'm cal and i'm liam and we'll talk to you on the next episode of the dcau review Adiós.